on this week's podcast, investor questions on the office hours, but a little bit of update on what the Fed's been doing in terms of hiking rates and maybe even cutting them in 2024. They're hinting at maybe a few cuts, but right now it's all up in the air. They're always using this line of, we need to see what the data looks like. When rates start to drop, money gets cheaper, things open up. And what we are looking at right now and why we haven't really bought properties over the last year is sure, you can get a nice 20 to 30% discount on the assets from a couple years ago at the peak. But really, from deal makers standpoint, like myself, the debt product is just not there for me, right? Before you would be able to get 65, 70% loan to value. Today, where the capital markets are, or basically where the lending products are, you have to get maybe 50% or even worse. So again, even if you're getting a discount on the price, comboing that with the debt package, it's all about numbers at the end of the day and what kind of ROIs you can produce as part of the project. And right now, because of that debt package, it's so bad, it's no bueno. It's not making the deals work. A lot of the big players, like the I released on my last newsletter, I think maybe a couple dozen of those reports from those big institutional financial investment firms for you guys to read. Probably nobody read them, but I put them on part of our newsletter. If you guys want to get more information about that, go to thewealthelevator.com slash club, sign up there. But a lot of these guys are bracing for a little bit of a dip. But I think this idea of a big recession is in our rear view mirror at this point. There is going to be slowdown. And based on last year being a great year in the stocks, to me, it makes sense that you need to watch out for a bit of a hit in terms of prices in 2024. If you guys want to see what the experts say in terms of what the interest rates are going to be doing, I would suggest Googling the CME Fed Watch tool. It outlines in the different months where they think that the interest rates will be on a probability point. But that said, many of the banks think June is when most people think when these interest rates are going to be coming down. But it could be as early as second quarter. Now, moving on, a little bit of a tax tip that we put into practice, or at least we told a lot of our investors in our group recently, is this de minimis safe harbor rule that it's up to you to insert this into your LLC documents. It might be a little bit late for you to do this for your 2023, but certainly you can get a jump start in 2024 by slipping this little document in there. I'll put a little generic a cut and paste of a sample one. You can probably use ChatGPT to help you too, so you can get an idea what we're doing. We'll put this in the email newsletter for you guys. But basically what this does, it, it allows you to expense assets costing 2500 or less on a per invoice receipt basis. It just makes things a lot easier, but officially, if you don't have this little part of our, this is a part of our company SOP that we do this, technically, you can't really use this de minimis safe harbor. So a little tax tip for you guys. Again, if your CPA should be feeding you these types of things, if you guys need more of a proactive CPA, please let us know if you need a referral. It's that time that you guys need to be looking at this. Don't wait till March, April, because that is the absolute worst time that you want to be finding a CPA. In fact, if somebody is willing to take you on in March or April, you probably don't want to work with them because they probably have bandwidth because they don't really have customers at that point of the year. Before we get into the office hours, one thing I would like to point out, at the end of the day, all this money and finances, it all really is to make us happy. One of those big things of you know happiness is being comfortable and having certainty in your life. We've seen a topsy-turvy 
market these last couple of years with interest rates skyrocket and people call it the 40-year event. It may or may not happen in my lifetime again. That said, we are targeting a little bit more stable types of deals now that the debt isn't really out there. And, and we'll be talking about this more in today's office hours. So if you guys have any other questions, please submit it to the team and enjoy this month's office hours. And for those of you guys, make sure you guys do that survey for us who are part of the email newsletter. We want to know where you guys want to take this deal flow going in 2024. Here we go. Welcome to 2024. This is the office hours where we go over some of the new opportunities that are coming up. And it allows some of you guys who are new to our group to ask in a semi-private format what some of these tax strategies or any other investment new person questions. As far as deal flow coming up, We've got the TaxPal fund, although I do think that a lot of people aren't really going to be super interested in it until we get into the second half of the year. There was a big rush into it before last month getting in for your 2023 passive activity losses. But I think people don't worry about taxes until you get to the crunch time at the end. And part of it naturally, so you know what you're selling that year, what your passive activity loss time horizon needs are. And then I think the first half of the year where we're at, a lot of people, if they haven't yet, they're trying to figure out how to implement real estate professionals status on their own. And part of that is me, maybe what might be more, make more sense to put out there is like, this is the time to be looking for your CPA and also your legal team. If you guys need a referral, please reach out team at thewealthlevator.com. There's been a lot of kind of movement in people we've been using as what I've noticed, a lot of these guys, the pricing has gone way up in terms of the service. And as you guys know, that is called value. The saying is the price is what you pay, the value is what you get. There's some, been, been some movement there. I think most of our clients, especially coming in, the CPA that they currently work with, they're just not very good. They just don't understand the concept of using passive losses to offset passive income and let alone what the heck real estate professional status strategy is. I guess for starters, get yourself set up now. Don't wait till March, April, because that's when they're super busy doing corporate returns and everybody's personal returns. That's not the time to be doing your leg work. So for some of you guys who wait to the last second, don't do that. Interview your guys now and, and get set up and figure out if you can make a run for real estate professional status, because then it opens up this big horizon to now use these passive losses to offset other income there. Tax brackets have slightly changed for the inflation. As you can see, last year, the magic number for Marifel jointly went from 364000 and now it's $383,000. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody, but my general thoughts is if you're above this red line, $383,000, you really need to be thinking of some kind of alternative tax mitigation strategy and using rep status with some section 179 deductions can be a great way of doing this. And we've got an actually a nice big live crowd. We do this every first Saturday of the month. If any of you guys have any specific personal questions on this or anything else, feel free to type it in the Q&A. And we'll try to get to it. Are you guys brave enough to come on here, ask a question for a friend or for yourself? So getting back to deal flow. So as far as commercial real estate has been beat up, right, over the last 18 months, prices have come down, let's just call it 
20, 30% across the country. It's not like a regional thing. It's a national thing because interest rates went up. And because the interest rates went up, you have the capital markets, the lenders not really lending to the same standards that they were. So the way that's played out in the commercial world is you're not able to get as high leverage as you once were. Previously, you're able to get maybe 70% loan to value, loan to cost. But nowadays, that has gone way, way down to maybe even under 50%, meaning that you have to come with 50% of the deal, which is why we haven't really bought any of those types of projects since summer of 2022, so well over a year ago. Now, residential, the way that plays out in residential, you just see the interest rate go up. I think the interest rates must be in the high 7%, maybe even 8% today, which is why the buyers aren't buying. And different reasons, but same result in commercial real estate, the buyers aren't buying, which is why the prices have come down. Now, in the residential world, you don't see that price drop because part of the, the interesting dynamics and part of this is all supply and demand. In the residential world, you have a lot of people stuck in their current mortgages happily at a very low rate. So they're not moving. So you don't have that supply on the market and days on market on in the residential world is very low, which is why that prices are still propped up. I don't really know, nor do I really care what's happening in the residential world. I'm more on the commercial side, but in the commercial side, yeah, you're seeing this big discount of properties. So from the one hand, what some people are doing out there, they're going on this narrative of they're going to pick up some great deals. And from one side of the equation, yeah, they are good deals because you could be picking it up for a 30% discount, maybe even more. However, the way I look at it, again, why we haven't really been picked up deals if the debt side of the equation doesn't work and I have to bring in so much more money to the table, even paying a lower purchase price, it's still, what is the return on investment at the end of the day? And that's where I'm saying it's still not penciling. But there's a lot of a lot of shakeups, right? Like a lot of syndicators are belly up. Like I've seen a lot of guys who were in the business that are no longer here, going to get day jobs. And I will be around. We've done $2 billion of assets. There's been, we're not immune to this at all. A lot of lessons learned, obviously, but the majority of the portfolio is intact and will survive to make it past 2025, 26 and make a great return. And we will be around as an investor group. So what you're seeing, I think, is a big, big clearing. And in, in the midst of this, I think, especially this next year, it does create some space for some newer syndicators who are wet behind the years. I don't know if I want to use that kind of old school, old school uh, analogy, but maybe because I'm getting like 40 and I'm getting one of the old people in a way. And they're going off of, they need to take some chances as I did at one time. So they're going in saying, yeah, let's go in with these more aggressive types of distressed deals. And that I think personally, maybe this, I just overlay where I'm at in my personal wealth building journey and life where I just want a little bit more security and I don't really need nor want to take chances. So I'm probably going to hold off on doing that type of more distress investing until maybe even next year. Who knows? What I do know is in 2024, I am going to be focusing more on more conservative deals. It may not double money in five years. In fact, it probably won't, but it's very secure, more, less value add, more 
Think of it like triple nets or land royalties, something that's a lot more secure, something I can sleep at night personally. And I, I get it. Some investors, you guys may want to go in now when there's there's likely to be the bounce off the bottom. Now may not be the bottom, but I think long term, you look, you're going to look back at right now and you're like, dang, I should have got in at this point, made this an, a great entry point. But do you dive in or do you gingerly dip your toe in into more secure types of investment arrangements? That's a, what I'm thinking in my head. And part of this is just like taking a step back and how did I personally get here investing back in 2009 and just ton of dollar cost averaging my way into this? It wasn't going after value add initially. It was just a lot of buy and holds myself. So I see it as just, we had a great bull run for a decade and just get back to the basics. Let's just repeat the way we got here and go in slowly and dollar cost average and going in these more secure deals. But I want to know what you guys think too. So we have the the survey that we're circulating. If you guys haven't done it yet, please send our team an email for you guys to fill it out. We usually get at least 100 people putting our input in that. So we get some pretty good data, what you guys are looking at. And one of the key questions is, do you guys want to go in aggressively into those more distressed types of deals? where there may be some a little bit more hair on those kind of projects, potential amazing returns, or do you want to just play it safe, make a great return? And if the market rises, then you get a part of that too, which let me know what you guys are thinking. Because another thing that I've seen a lot of investors will do is you, you guys still have your stocks holdings and you guys want to diversify it. And you guys see the projects that we'll do as more the asymmetric place part of your portfolio. And maybe you do want the super aggressive stuff because you can't really emulate that within your traditional investment portfolio. Now, some other people have, like myself, gone majority of your holdings into this alternative investment space. And therefore, you would want more of that conservative type of prospectus. It's just, it, it, it's more, it's, a couple of questions. What do you want? And then you also have to overlay like what, how does it fit within your personal portfolio? And this is where it gets into more personal finance. And you tell me what you guys want, I guess is what I'm trying to say here. If you guys can help me out, do the survey. It's in the emails there, the link. If you guys don't have it, just reply back and we'll send you guys the survey link. Probably next month we'll do the, the results of that survey, just so you guys know what other investors are thinking about what's in their head. I think maybe it doesn't matter what your peers think, but just a data point out there that we can provide what's other people in this space are thinking out there. But yeah, we'll get into some of these questions. I stopped telling people exactly what to do with their investment. Why I stopped telling people exactly what to do. Right, so that's the question. I think what I realize is there's a big layer to personal finance. I may like a deal, but I'm looking at it from a lens of how it fits within my portfolio. Somewhere I think buried in the e-course, which I think if you guys sign up, you guys should get access to it. I had this big scatter chart of deals that were more value add, more development, more, and then on the other end of the spectrum, more yield type of plays. And then also on the other axis was location wise where they are. And it was not saying it was the best way, but it was a way of kind of mind mapping the risk reward and diversifying your portfolio, at least on the alternative investment space. and. What I, I guess to my earlier point, what I was mentioning earlier, you may be an investor who has all alternative investments and therefore you, yeah, you, then you should really diversify in all these types in this manner. 
But if you're an investor who has still 90% of your portfolio in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and real estate is more of your conservative play, or maybe it might be the opposite. You might want to be more on the aggressive side. Like, I don't know that. And unless you guys do like a paid co coaching call and you complete the full personal financial sheet and you list all your holdings, I don't have the slightest clue what you're investing in, what your portfolio is. And even then, I need to ask you where your head is at, what you're looking for. So that's why this is several years ago and I stopped giving people advice. And, but if you guys really want it, I'll caveat saying, Hey, here's two things. I'll tell you what I would personally do because I have the confidence and kind of know where to put my money where I don't avoid the counterparty risk. And the second thing I'll tell you is here's what I think you're going to do because there's a certain that we have well over 800 investors that have invested us with in the past. I don't tell them what to do, but I observe what they do. And I have some good insight into that. And I write about this in the new book. Most people will start out with 10 to 20% of their net worth into this types of alternative investments, see how it goes in the first several years. Really trying to check the box on like the counterparty risk side. Is the people I'm working with, are they conscientious? Are they not stealing my money? That's a big part of it. That's how I got burned when I first started to do this back in 2016, 17. And I think that's something where we're going to head off more in the future, bringing on more of a, a underwriting staff and other investment officers to expand the investment committee as the next path forward and do it more in a fund of funds model where we're all investing together and I'm there to lead the charge if anything goes south, at least to expand to different real estate sectors if needed. But that's a long story short why I stop telling people exactly what to do because I just don't know what's in your guys' individual portfolios. Here's the next question. More hands on. Yeah, a little bit of history of our investment group. In the very early stages, I would be going into deals. And a lot of times we first started, we wouldn't have the best deal flow or network. And maybe some people don't realize, but there's a lot of like educational groups out there that teach people how to be general partners. A lot of those groups have just been like, throwing a grenade in them in the past years. It's, it's a little bit of a, a scatter nowadays, but people would go here. They, they would teach people how to underwrite deals and they would teach people how to market themselves as capital raisers and general partners. Looking back, it was stupid. Like they teach people more about taking selfies and doing stupid social media, like being where they walk and they talk and promote themselves. And it, than actually operating the asset. And I call this kind of the fake it to you make it network. And admittedly, we were there at one time when we first started. And this is where I did make mistakes, investing with some of the wrong people who supposedly had the track record, but they didn't, or they just didn't have the competency to carry over to success at the end of the day. That in my earlier days doing these syndications, maybe one out of five people we worked with just weren't great operators. And, but part of that was we weren't writing big check sizes where we weren't able to get access to better operators. And that was where it's been a slow climb up to this point. Early on, I got burned, like I said, and that was where I decided as a group that we needed to be more of the exclusive capital source for our partnerships and in a way get married up and be part of the operation ourselves. That actually turned to be pretty successful. 
we actually just sold a, a property very recently where we, I forget what the numbers were, but I think we bought it for 9 million. We sold it for 14, 15, something like that. It's essentially a successful deal, right? Amongst a very difficult, depressed market in 2023. You know, what I'm realizing, and there's always a growth process in this, and my portfolio has gotten pretty heavy, 90% in multifamily apartments. And some of the things listening to the investors here on these types of calls and the survey and do the survey guys is there are other asset classes out there within the world of real estate, maybe even outside of the world of real estate that we should explore right now. For example, commercial real estate, especially in the sectors of multifamily and offices went through a big gloss. Now's a good time to actually be getting in, right? Because there's been that correction that, that happened last year. I still think that there's maybe another quarter, at least a fallout, but, and which is again, another reason why I'm a little hesitant to go in at this point in that, that certain asset class and business plan. But I've actually started to join other investment groups outside of real estate. So I don't think like venture capital, I've joined the local angel group here and then started to explore e-commerce, SaaS business operators. I've talked to some of the aggregators. The, for those who don't know, like the e-commerce SaaS business, like they had a much bigger meltdown than real estate in 2021. A lot of the aggregators came in, which is another word for private equity. They came in, gobbled up a lot of these successful operators, thinking that they would take the business to the next level. But the interest rates killed it. And interest rates really do impact real estate and a lot of other businesses and asset classes out there. And a lot of these e-commerce types of businesses fell. Part of it too, I think after post-COVID, when everybody wasn't shopping online all the time, and that was another reason to add to that double whammy. But now's the time, especially in e-commerce, where you would think that there's distress in the market. This is the time to make acquisitions, right? People, sellers are desperate. And I think that's what separates the, the unsophisticated investor who invests in the late cycle in the frothy 2021, 2022. And, and this is just me intellectually trying to guide my behavior, right? Look for the places where things are quiet. Not a lot of people are talking about it. And the frenzy and potentially fear is there. Fear is what creates buying opportunities. Just another example, I'm not a big fan of crypto. I, I like the idea of it, but I personally don't really like how it's not like a real tangible asset and especially how it doesn't provide value to users in the world and how you can't value add crypto. Crypto's off the highs and it has correction. And the other nice ingredient I see is nobody's talking about it, right? You had the big FTX fallout. I know people are still trying to get their money from BlockFi and the Celsius, but you want to invest in things when the frenzy and froth isn't necessarily there. And that is now for crypto and now for real estate in a way. But yeah, in the future, yeah, definitely looking to expand other investment avenues. I was talking to a guy yesterday, data centers. I think a, another key element of this is the capital markets, getting your debt products, getting loans is going to be difficult the next year or two. Interest rates aren't going to be coming down right away. And long-term, they'll probably stay around that nice 2 or 3% Fed level meaning that the end of the era of free money is essentially over at that point. So some people see it as the game has changed. And I take that idea away from Howard Marks, who's a very respected investor, probably the next generation Warren Buffett, if you want to follow another guy out there. 
but there's been a kind of a changing of the guards recently where we're not in a world of free money and you're going to need to find yield in the next maybe six months. You can't just sit on your butt and invest in T-bills. I actually don't think you can even do that now. You're probably better off putting it in your life insurance, making money there, litigation free on that stuff. But you're probably, you're going to have to find alpha is the term that that's said a lot in our world and where you're going to find it. It's not going to be just simply buying any piece of real estate and adding a nice, easy, cheap loan to it. You're going to have to add value to it at the end of the day, whether that's buying a brick and mortar business, whether that's a plumbing company or HVAC company, an e-commerce business, or building an apartment from scratch, developing. That's what I know long-term is what's going to create wealth is when you add value to an asset. I know that's esoteric, but as an investor, that's... Those are the time-tested basics of this. Some people believe in buy low, sell high, but that requires an element of luck in that. Here's a tax question. What's the difference between business CPAs and personal tax experts? Yeah, I, I guess some of our investors are business owners like dentists or any other business owner. They, they'll use their business CPA to do their personal taxes. I personally think that it's two different worlds and often... You def don't want to have the same one because if they're good at one, they're likely not good at the other. So the business CPA is the one more working like with P&Ls and more on the business tax side. Whereas the personal tax side, I think you actually need to get more creative on the personal tax side and using all these different strategies that we talk about. But if you're using the same person for both, I would urge you to change that. We actually do have a, a webinar next week, Tuesday the 9th, where you guys get to ask questions to a CPA. The questions that are up for grabs are like, should I use an LLC? Is this scenario work for my rep status? I'm selling this property. What is this the tax implications of this? So it's a fun time where you guys get to ask questions of a real CPA, not just me playing one on a podcast, but you, know, you can explain a different way too. Because I think that's what a lot of this, when I was learning it, I had to hear it from different people in different ways. And then something just clicks after a while. And if you're a newer investor, a lot of this may sound very advanced. And I would say it's not super advanced. It's just, it's new. And once you get a bearing and you understand a little bit, you'll start to, it'll start to become very familiar. I think, of course, there are always the details that kind of change beyond this behind the scenes. And that's where you want to work with a good CPA. But my goal for everybody here is from a high level, how things should work. So you can spot check it and guide your CPA the right way. And then also generally get to the same numbers that they do. So if you guys are using the same CPA on both your business side and your personal side, don't do that. But if you guys are just working W-2 jobs and you have a few rental properties, yeah, that's totally fine. We're talking more for the business owner who has employees and those operational expenses that needs to be separate. Okay, so yeah, there was a question asked about how does this kind of look big picture, right? If I invest X, how does that turn in years later? If you're looking at myopically at one deal, that's where you got to look at your individual deal projections. For the most part, development deals make a little bit higher return. Maybe you can double your money in three, five years. Maybe you can get even more money than that. Lower value add types of projects where you're just trying to bump the net operating income 20%. You could still double your money 
maybe in a five-year period. But these are just projections, right? In most cases, the last 10, 10 out of, or 11 out of 12 years, we saw a bit of a, a cap rates coming down scenario. Not hugely, but very steadily. And that's a very advantageous uh, market to be investing in. And I would probably say that's like sailing your sailboat with a nice two mile, three mile per hour breeze behind you. Every once in a while, you have market corrections. And that's what we saw in 2022, 2023, where instead of that nice two or three mile per hour breeze behind you, you have a 10 mile per hour, 50 mile per hour gust in front of you for the time being. And that's just how it, it works. I'm not going to tell anybody here that you're going to make money 100% of the time. And this is where I, I, I'm looking at myself and more experienced investors and the people who make it through from a portfolio standpoint are the people who dollar cost average and have deals spending more than four or five years. And because you don't know what's going to happen, in one year. Sure, maybe 90% of the time, a black swan event won't happen. Shoot, maybe it's even more, right? If you saw the last 11 out of 12 years, we're great. What's tough about alternative investing, and I would say this is the one thing, I, I do think it's a moot point though, but the one nice thing about like stocks is it never goes down to zero on an individual basis. Sure, like in 2020 and 2009 or eight, for those who remember that, I myself was there, you lost a huge chunk of your portfolio, where in some cases, when you have, you break up your portfolio into 50 grand here, 100 grand here, when you're in the deals that you entered in late cycle, you may have to amputate off to save the body. Portfolio wise, again, to my earlier point, you have to diversify over a longer period of time. And then those deals that are seasoned in there, maybe even exited and made a bunch of money, they're pretty much immune and protected. And I think that point you need to, I'm negating that my earlier point is that you're, you need to look at it from a more portfolio standpoint. Sure, maybe a couple of deals on this end acquired lately are gone, but it, it's your personal responsibility to diversify so that you have deals that are seasoned and safe. And the only way you're gonna do that is diversification, dollar cost average, and have deals spending more than four or five years. But that's the kind of the problem, I think, especially for newer investors. You have to have an entry point at some point. You're going to be exposed at some point. You're going to be that little vulnerable sea turtle making its way out to the ocean when the birds and the seagulls are trying to get you. And I was there at one time. I was lucky enough to invest well before the correction happened. Moving forward, the correction happened, folks. This is actually a nice time to be making a great entry point. Come in. Slowly, like I said, I think a great entry point, maybe 10 to 50% of your net worth into this stuff in the first several years to keep your toe in and to build that bridge of diversification. Because if you don't do it now, when? Are you going to be the guy who came in 2021, 2022, who was at the top? And in, in the same respect, are you still the same guy who's going to come in 2025, 2027, right? At the next top. There are market cycles, typically they're a lot shorter than what this last one was. This is pretty unprecedented where the market cycle went on for so long. And in that respect, there is no natural market cycle, right? We've gotten off this stage where you can expect normal six to seven year peak to trough cycles because we're not feeding the garden natural fertilizer anymore in a way. We're feeding it like steroids and artificial fertilizer. 
And what I'm citing specifically is the Fed and the government greatly manipulate the money system and what happens out there. We've gone away from a normal market cycle and we're into this now world of artificial manipulation of the markets. And some would say that happened after we went off the gold standard in, I think, the 30s, but certainly the case now. And that's why some people say you just never know. Could be like 2020 could have been like the correction year. But then the pandemic with it pumping trillions of dollars into there saved everything and delayed it, that correction from happening, which is exactly what we saw. I'm citing a lot of the teachings from Richard Duncan, who's, if you haven't subscribed to his newsletter, I think it's a few hundred bucks a year, but he talks a lot about this concept of creditism. A lot of people out there on these like doom and gloom forms will say like, how can we keep borrowing money? Look at the debt. It keeps going up. And yeah, dude, people have been using that narrative for the longest time. In a way, it's, if you follow Richard Duncan's criticism idea, that doesn't really apply anymore. And, and the whole narrative of like per percentage of GDP of that debt is, it doesn't really apply if the United States who owns the best military and the biggest bully in the world can just print money. It's more who controls the money supply. So there's different chains of thoughts out there. And what we do know is the game changes. And if you believe that, then the narrative of so much debt in the system, the government debt, doesn't really matter anymore. In a way, we're living in a world without gravity. And that's where I, I again, I said this earlier, but if it's a changing world, what are the principles that still apply, right? Investing in solid areas, and this is a kind of why we're targeting some of these more places that we wouldn't target in my last five years of investing. More well-known low-cap markets to give you guys a little bit of an insight there because they're a lot more stable and they're not like a smaller tertiary or tertiary market or even a smaller secondary market. I just want to put that out there. I think it's a changing world. Um, I think it's this is what separates the good investors from your average retail investors who just go with what the masses do. And if you do that, what's going to happen, right? It's going to take 30, 40 years to retire and investing in the traditional investments. And that's where I keep falling back to this trifecta of investing in good deals with people who are trustworthy and you getting the tax benefits there to cut the drag on your net worth growth there, cut the friction and implement some infinite banking, accredited investor banking for some of you guys who have some larger tranches and not looking to do a big longer commitment there. That's what the accredited investor banking is to flash fund your policy in one or two years, as opposed to doing like a six, seven year, 10 year pay program and setting yourself up with that commitment. Changing landscape, of course. But yeah, getting back to the guiding principles, I do believe it's like you buy an asset that you think is at value or undervalued and you improve it. And that requires capital, that requires expertise. And if you keep doing that, rinse, wash, repeat, you should come out better than the ups and downs of the market. And it's like you live life off of more values than, at least I've been trying to live life more off of values than just strictly what is the outcome. So what I mean by that is, I guess the way my parents brought me up or, and the operating system I was originally brought up is, you will get a job, you will get an X salary. When you get that job, you will hit your scorecard marks. Whereas that's outcome-based governing, where what I'm saying is, what I'm trying to live life more by is by values, right? 
treating people with honor and respect, do what's right. Even if the outcome isn't very good, you just, you put your head down and keep working the process if the process is sound. And part of this is just continue to add value and buy things that make sense. And when the time is right to sell it for a good price. And at the end of the day, I've seen people, seen some operators commit suicide and and maybe because they were too much outcome-based. And when you're more value-based, you tend to be happier and and sometimes you tend to get a renewed source of motivation and you ingrain yourself in working the process more, which is really what you should be focusing on than getting up and down with what is happening outside of your control. So yeah, that's just kind of some thoughts lately in terms of governing off of values instead of the short-term, short-term goals. And I think that's where investors need to go back. And I think this is what kind of sharpshoots traditional investments. Sure, the company is doing what they're doing to grow the company, but a lot of that money is going to the staff and CEO and, and top of the line costs that don't flow down to the investors putting the skin in the game. And there's all these kind of hidden fees in there. And I think that's where the, the alternative investment path comes into play, where you're putting a skin in the game, so you should get the upside and rewards too. We got a couple more. How should accredited investors approach their investment decisions? So what I would start with is like where you are in terms of net worth. So I, and this is the concept that's in the Wealth Elevator book that should finally release in February. It depends on where you are in terms of net worth. And I guess more specifically where you are in terms of your end game number. So for some of the clients, that number may be four to five million net worth where they're able to draw fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 of passive income off of that at a pretty conservative low rate of return of four to five percent. For some investors, and I've talked to a couple of these guys recently that live in a lot lower cost of living areas, the central US, they and their kids are grown up and gone, right? Out of college, financially independent on their own, right? They have jobs. Their end goal number may be just two million. You need to think about where you are on that spectrum. Now, for some of our investors in our family office group, over four million net worth, you may not want to be investing in value-add alternative investments. Maybe you do for the tax benefits, but at that point, you've probably not working your day job, but you don't have that high ordinary income where you need the losses from real estate in conjunction with rep status. So you're more in a different needs there. And so what some of the people, and, and we're going to be having a breakout session on Saturday in our retreat for some of these people discussing these strategies using security backed line of credits, finding the dividend stocks in that and using it in conjunction with their alternative investment portfolio. But for the vast majority of people in our group, you guys are still in the growth years, maybe not necessarily under a million and a half, $2 million net worth, but you still need to grow it to that critical mass number to get that 15 to $20,000 of passive income every single month. So if you're in that stage, and in a way, I'm not at that stage myself. I'm not looking to do nothing at this point. I found Renew Energy doing this wealth elevator, helping investors along this path as I did. I'm still young and want to get after it, right? I'm still diligent. I'm not gray hair, just rocking my nuts, do nothing type of attitude yet. And say that I won't change, right? In the next decade, who knows? But as you've already seen, I think deal flow will change in 2024 for our investor group, as opposed to what I maybe would have done in my 20s. 
where I, we would be after it in terms of more aggressive plays. But that's where in, investors in this growth stage should be to put a number on it, at least 20 to 30% alternative investments is a number I think you need to get to. Just take my journey. In 2007, I graduated college and bought rental properties pretty early. But five years after college, when my net worth was under half a million, I had maybe 50% of my net worth in rental properties, alternative assets. And then I increased it from there. There was a point where I was like, yeah, screw this stock market 401k stuff. It's just not working. I'm not getting the tax benefits from it, nor am I getting the returns from it. And so from 2014, 15, 16 beyond, I withdraw the 401k and I went from maybe 50% alternative assets to 100% alternative assets. And we saw what happened, right? Like it worked for me. And that's why I believe in it. And obviously when, you know, I became more of an accredited investor, I put a little bit in infinite banking. I went a little bit, maybe 10% of my net worth is in infinite banking and life insurance. But I am still very heavy in alternative investments, 80, 90% plus, I would assume. And that's, in a way, it's like, use that sailboat analogy. I have my sails up. I'm catching the market. Some could say you're exposed, but hey, I'm still in growth mode and live and die by it. That's where I'm at. Now, the transition happens once you feel like you're getting there, you're getting enough. And I feel like this happens, at least seeing we do like hot seats within our mastermind group. I sit there and I just observe and I get a lot more in-depth detail what people are doing in their portfolio, see all the holdings and where they are. It seems like when you get around two and a half million net worth is when you start to come down on that roller coaster a little bit and you start to titrate back down a little bit from alternate investments. But until there, like you need to have the sales full up, I think. And yeah, sure, you combine this with when people are getting into this world, buying rental properties or in their first several syndication deals, it's going to be small. And I get it. And I think that's great, right? I'm all for like small baby steps, small wins is, I think is great. But make no mistake, if your net worth is $1.4 million right now and you want to grow conservatively to hit financial freedom before your 50th, 55th birthday, you're going to need to ratchet that alternative investment sucker up that needle to at least 20, 30%, maybe even over 50, 60%. And until you have, until you're balling and you got multiple seven figures, multiple million to be able to bring the sales down a little bit to some extent and go for more of the conservative side. So I, I think that's where it's super important to find your specific peer group. Like when we do the retreat, we always try to make everybody meet everybody. But at, at the end of the networking and the sessions, I specifically try to break people out in their net worth ranges. I call it cattle grading because I used to work for the railroad and that was a crude way of saying it. But ultimately, you need to find people that you follow this journey with, right? When you go from a million to a million and a half to two and then... Five years later, when you guys have a little bit more gray hairs, you both make the graceful exit from these alternative investments and you go into some of the more advanced finishing strategies that we have. So without that pure group, I see some people who have $10 million and are investing like a kid who has a million dollars investing in all these deals. And that's, I, I think that's just lack of calibration and self-awareness. And most times it's vice versa. A guy who has $1.5 million net worth investing 
like in gold and something. What the heck are you investing in gold? That thing doesn't do anything. That's what you do when you have multiple million dollars and you just need to have it just sit there and just sit there in gold is the same, right? That's why they say it. Gold doesn't really increase in value, nor does it give you any tax benefits. You probably just got duped by some online influencer telling you to buy through their gold affiliate link so they can get commissions off of that. But I think that's where it's important to hear it multiple places. Like I say it, I, you know, I think it's good to have some open dialogue on these types of calls that we do here, but you don't really replace having your, you know, you are the average of the five people you hang out with most. And that's where it's important to have that band of brothers around you. But with that, we've hit the top. I've got to actually jump to a meeting here. It's a busy Saturday and a busy Sunday once again. But yeah, thanks all you guys for, for coming. We do the office hours every first Saturday of the month. And then for those of you guys who want to get a little bit more specific into syndication, due diligence, or academic approach to the calls, we go to the syndication e-course we do make it a more of an open dialogue. So you guys get to ask live questions. That's the third su- Saturday of every month. Unfortunately, we're not having it this month because I'll be in Atlanta in a tax seminar learning about some cool tax strategies there. But in February, we'll pick it back up on that cadence. But if you guys need anything, get your 2024 year started. Do know that it is, this is a long game. This is not the get rich quick things. There'll probably be more ups than downs. Our community, I think, is very strong in that offering that assistance. And I'm as here much to help you guys out as also you guys provide some nice camaraderie on, on my journey myself. But yeah, we got some interesting, fun things coming up, especially in the years ahead. I'm, I'm definitely been talking to a lot of other people I wouldn't have in years past in terms of deal flow. So some exciting things I think that are coming out outside of the world of real estate, but inside of the world of real estate, yeah, we've, we've, you're going to see some stuff come out this later on this month. Make sure you guys fill out that survey to ultimately guide where we place capital as a group and then be on the lookout for that. If you haven't yet, make sure you're on the list. Some of you guys click the buttons to or it lands in the spam box. I do send out a weekly newsletter with some things I've been seeing in the news. If you guys don't want that let us know and you just want the deals let us know uh, we can change your email subscriptions there but if you're not part of that go to the wealth club and we'll see you guys next time